This week, we watched the 1995 very dark film, 12 Monkeys. And along the way, we ask, is risking yourself to a deadly virus worth shortening your prison sentence? Why don't more people like Terry Gilliam films? And what does this movie have to do with Legends of the Fall? This is Force Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am your host, Chris Rupp, and I am here with my co-host, Sean Culp. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us on what is sure to be a very bleak look into the future with uh, 1995's edition of 12 Monkeys, which uh, when we picked this last time, we were very excited to get this going. Mm -hmm. Not so much with the Bruce Willis butt. No. <laughs> There's so much butt. There's so much butt. We'll get into that, it's though. It's insane. Uh, so before we get into all the uh, pre-production stuff, uh, let's, let's break down the movie. And the uh, spoilers will abound in this episode. Yep. But the movie's been out for over 20 years, so you've had time to see yeah. it. 24 years. All right. So we're introduced to um, a convict by the name of James Cole, played yes. by Bruce Willis, and he is he's trapped in the year 2035. And at this point... There has been a deadly virus that has ravaged the earth. Five billion people are dead. And because of this, people have been forced to retreat underground Ooh. and live. There's no governments. It doesn't look like there's any pets. That <laughs> no, there's no. Quite frankly, it looks like the future is no fun in 2035. It looks like hell. They're all in cages. I mean, it's just terrible. They're all in cages. They're being fished out or quote unquote volunteered. Volunteer, voluntold to do science experiments. Yeah. They're, and Bruce it's not. Will, and James Cole is the unfortunate soul who is picked to go to the surface and collect animal specimens. Yes. And because he's done such a good job of picking <laughs> spiders and cockroaches and all kinds of creepy crawly things for examination, they have enlisted him for a time travel project. Ooh. They want him to go back to the mid-90s and see if there's anything he can do to prevent this virus from being unleashed and wreaking havoc. What will happen? What will happen? <laughs> well, we'll find out, but I mean, I don't want to say hilarity abounds because it does not, quite frankly, No, in no. this movie. It is probably one of the least funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> no, this film, you're right. This film is not funny at all. No, there's I, no, I don't there's think no humor I in it. at all. No. No, it is a very serious, it takes a very hard look at the future, like life. Hard look at life, hard look at the future. It's very dark. Oh, it talks about philosophical concepts. I mean, this is a sci-fi film. This is this, yeah, is this is this is probably the first edition we've had of what we would consider like a pure sci-fi film. Totally. It's not like a sci-fi romance. I mean, I guess there's, there's some tiny there's some, like romance in there, but it's but not no. a huge part of the film. It is not no. the driving force of the film at all. Sci-fi, baby. So like <laughs> we mentioned in the top of the show, this is directed by Terry Gilliam. The who kinda, Gilliam. At this point had developed a reputation for this highly yeah. stylized method of filmmaking. He did. So a lot of odd angles, a lot of quick cuts, a lot of slow motion stuff, which we don't get a ton of slow motion stuff in this movie. I mean, no. mostly with the flashbacks we get that. Um, but he's most known for directing Brazil, yes. which is another movie on our list, which we hope to get to soon. Um, mm -hmm. he's uh, His film before this was The Fisher King, starring Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams, which... Mm -hmm. Not a sci-fi film, but I cannot recommend that movie enough. You cannot recommend... 
it's it's, it's a pretty good, good. It's a very good character study. Yes. Um, you know, Robin Williams has suffered a tragedy in his life, and Jeff Bridges has to play the unexpected role of the counselor to Je- the Robin Williams' broken character. Yeah, it's it's a great take on mental health, homelessness, solid flick. So yeah, directed by Terry Gilliam, written by David and Janet Peebles, uh, which I don't know what else they have done. Uh, but it stars Bruce Willis as James Cole, like we mentioned. Uh, Madeline Stowe as Catherine Rayleigh. Uh, we have Brad Pitt in one of his early roles as Jeffrey yes. Goines. We have Christopher Plummer as Dr. Leland Goines, who's uh, Brad Pitt's father in the movie. And uh, we also have David Morse as Dr. Peters, who unexpectedly becomes the villain. Yeah. It's super shocking. Um, made on a budget at the time of about $30 million, yeah. which I, I'm a big fan of the inflation calculator, so that's about $51 million in 2019, buddy. You're a big fan of the inflation calculator? I love throwing that out there. <laughs> like when someone says, like, oh, we spent $2,000 in 1912, and it turns out that's like $1.5 million in 2019 money. <laughs> like, holy crap, what happened? I wish I had two grand to take back with me to like 1915 and be like, I'm rich. <laughs> Just go back with my meager bank account and be like, I'd like to buy one of everything, please. I mean, you could do that now. Just go to a third world country, man. Well, we've talked enough about the, the problems <laughs> with time travel, and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be that that rich gringo who shows up to some foreign <laughs> country, and be like, I have three thousand dollars. I am the wealthiest man here. <laughs> I'm gonna own a restaurant. That's that's colonizer syndrome, is what that is. Colonizer syndrome. So did you know this was actually, ada- uh, 12 Monkeys was actually adapted from a 1962 yes. French film? That's right. They had to uh, convince Chris Marker, I think is the guy's name. It was the French film La Jetée. La Jetée. Yeah. La Jetée. They had I'm, to convince I'm, I'm pretty him. sure we're butch- butchering the pronunciation. We're not French. We are not. Please find our ignorance charming. <laughs> and so they had to convince this guy, the director, mm-hmm. in order to uh, rewrite, remake the script. Well, Universal acquired the rights to it, and it, it did. The Twelve Monkeys borrows a lot of elements from the film. The original short film, I think, was um, like takes place after World War Three. There's mm-hmm. so you have the cataclysmic event, and then you also have the time travel elements. Yeah. This is during that awesome time. I think it came out in 62? 62. 62, yeah. It was during that so awesome period. So back when period. Sci- science fiction was kind of almost being de-emphasized for these like these bigger budget action movies because mm-hmm. we're also getting, this same time, we're also getting the rise of the James Bond films, but there's still the you know, French art house pictures. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a, a lot of cinema styles kind of clash together there. <laughs> and uh, did you actually know that uh, Waterworld actually affected yes. the budget of this yes. movie? I saw that. So that's why it didn't get a huge budget because Waterworld, which if you know sci-fi, it's uh, just a mess. That film is hot garbage. Well, also too, I mean, Waterworld costs like $150 million <sighs> to make in the mid-90s. In which the mid-90s. There is no way you could have made Waterworld today. No, no not because at in all. 19, because in 2019, $150 million is probably something like $240 million. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. And Waterworld is a, is a pile of doo-doo stew is what it is. Oh, it's so bad. It's got Dennis Hopper in it, and uh, who who else? Who's the guy? Kevin Costner. Yeah, Kevin Costner yes. apparently grew gills. Oh my gosh! Don't worry, folks. That's on our list too. And uh, look forward to Wait, that. That's we're, on our. Oh, we gotta put it on man. the list. It had to be on the list. Uh, I mean, cute. if it's not, I'm gonna go in and add it. <laughs> Frick! Uh, gonna, it's gonna be there. I mean, gonna, how how are we not gonna? We're, we're gonna suffer. But think about how much fun it will be to butcher that movie. Oh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> you take away the power of something when you satire it. <laughs> so true. 
Well, this because of the budget constraints, everybody had to take a pay cut. They did. I mean, Bruce Willis practically worked for free on this movie. Yep. And everybody took a pay cut because they wanted to work with Terry Gilliam. And Brad Pitt at the time was fairly unknown mm-hmm. as an actor. And it's like the fun fact with this film is uh, before they were filming this in 95. And so Brad Pitt just got, while he was filming it, they released Interview with a Vampire 7. And then one more film. Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall. And he just became like an A-list actor overnight. Well, these those were all really good movies. Solid, I mean, solid way. Legends of the Fall career. is probably my favorite among those movies. I've never seen the it. The cinematography is incredible in it. Legends it, of the Fall. And Brad Pitt just kind of becomes unhinged at various parts in the movie. Really? Like, uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because I could, you know, probably talk for 45 minutes about Legends of the Fall. <laughs> but I mean, if you got the, I mean, if you got time, watch if you got Legends time, watch of the it. Fall. Oh yeah, I got gotcha. you. So Brad Pitt, his uh, notoriety kind of helped this film. He, though he worked for cheap because he was no one when they cast. Him. Yeah, he was a nobody. Terry Gilliam, they liked because uh, he was super strict on the budget. Universal loved how he was just like this budget guy. He wants to save as much money. Well, he's he's kind of known for doing oh, yeah. as much as he can with a tight budget, and yeah. he has to give a ton of credit for being able to do that because he has totally. made movies that stand yeah. out. I yeah. mean, I'm pretty sure Brazil was probably done on a tight budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fisher King was probably done on a tight budget. This movie obviously was done on a tight budget, so he has to get a ton of credit for doing high-quality work with like nothing. minimal money. Because for Universal at the time, I mean, $30 million was probably nothing to them. It was probably just like, hey, yeah. here's some money. Go have fun. All right. Here's 20 bucks, kid. Go have a night on the town. <laughs> Go live your life. But uh, they didn't want to give him 50 or 60 because of Waterworld. So yeah. I don't blame him. Kevin Costner, it's all your fault. God, you suck. Imagine what this movie would have been if you hadn't created a mess of a movie. Maybe it would have been a cleaner city. A nicer God, looking God Philadelphia. It. God dang it, Kevin Costner. <laughs> you ruined Westerns for everybody, and now you ruined 12 Monkeys, too. Wait, what? Western? Waterworld was a Western? No. Oh, Dances okay. with Wolves was a oh, Western. Oh, okay. I was going to say no. Well, because sure, that no, movie kind of ruined people's expectations of I, what, like, what is the definition of a true Western, West, quote unquote. I have not seen that film. It's, I, well, it's like say, a two-parter, right? It's so long. There's an intermission. There's an intermission. There is an intermission. I imagine it came out on like a three VHX <laughs> VHS box set. Oh, I watched it. I've watched it once. <laughs> you. I've watched it once. It made full use of that intermission. It's like, oh god, I got to go to the bathroom. God. I think it's on Netflix, but no, I'm not. Yeah, kidding. if you got four hours to spend, I mean, no. you can you can ruin your definition of what is a western film doing that. But I mean, <laughs> ruin your definition of a western film. I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm going to just get mad. <laughs> anyway, uh, initial choices to play uh, James Cole was actually, did you know uh, Nick Nolte was yeah. considered for that role? Nick Nolte. That, I mean, I mean, just seeing like, yeah. I mean, Bruce Willis is one thing, but Nick Nolte just has that permanent angry look affixed to him I all know. the time. He's got resting angry face. Re- <laughs> and his voice, it just, I it's couldn't so see It's so gravelly. It. It's like he wakes up and like, <laughs> Gargles marbles or something in the morning. <laughs> just gets so I mean, I imagine Christian Bale like just heard Nick Nolte speaking like, that's what I want to do for my Batman. <laughs> exactly. And then, he just puts rocks in his mouth. And then here's the here's the weirder part to me is they actually <laughs> considered Jeff Bridges to play Jeffrey Goins. I know. That I movie would have been so weird. So weird. To me, that's like casting Matthew McConaughey to play James Bond. It, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. It's like, I'm James Bond. All right, all right, right. all right. <laughs> 
Now you see, and what we got to do is we 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 got a bad guy over there, and I'm right here. I'm the neutral good in this, so I'm gonna go get that guy, and then I'm gonna go get the women. I'm gonna get me a. Well, I don't really do martinis anymore, but I, I do do me my wild turkey, so I'm going to get me some of that, and then, yeah, it's <laughs> yes. going to be a good old time. Just first, let me get my Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> you know his Lincolns don't go left. His they Lincoln. just go, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm over you. <laughs> well, we're sticking with the casting for a moment here. I mean, uh, they actually, the casting director of the movie actually had to convince Terry Gilliam to put Brad Pitt in the movie. Because of what yeah, you said, because right. he was right. still relatively unknown at the time. They, they, yeah, they had to convince him. So his star won seven, and Legends of the Fall, an interview with the Vampire, mm-hmm. came out. His star was shining pretty bright. So there, there aren't like, I can't think of few people who had a, a six as successful as a run with those four movies than anybody else did at the time. Oh yeah. It just saved his career. And then this film gave well, him an Oscar Well, it didn't Oscar save his nod. career. It gave him a, gar- a career. It gave him an Oscar nod. Yo, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into he, that. He twitched his way through it. Twi- oh, well, you know how he they accomplished that, right? Oh. Terry Gilliam took away his cigarettes. No way. Yeah. Are you serious? Uh-huh. He just took away his cigarettes, and it was just like, now, now, now you're crazy, huh? Holy. So, I didn't know so that. I, so I got to ask this. I mean, what do you think like somebody has to take away from you in order to get your best work out of you? Oh, my gosh. Probably my phone. Yeah, or or just like withhold food. Mm. Be like, you're not going to eat until we do this. Yeah, you can't have your cream corn until you get your until we get a good job out of you. <laughs> no cream corn. <laughs> what about you? Oh, it would probably have to be my bourbon. Your bourbon? Yeah. Oh wow. It's like you can't drink bourbon anymore until you do all your work. Like, oh crap. Not beer. I do like my beer, but there's something about you bourbon. Know, bourbon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm on a bourbon kick. Mm. Rock on. All right. Yeah. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, just taking away the cigarettes. Was How all... addicted to cigarettes was he back in he the day? He had to have been. That's he had to have been smoking like a carton a day to just, you know. <laughs> a carton a day? I assume. I mean, if it's if he was able to get that much decent work out of him, I assume it had to be a buttload of cigarettes. <laughs> and more Like two packs. Like what? He had to have been smoking what, like ever. The whole probably. Day. The moment he woke up, he put in a cigarette. I mean, this is the mid-90s, so he's probably just smoking indoors all the time. Either that or Terry Gilliam was just like, I'm tired of you smoking inside all the time. I'm taking these away. Gosh, that's incredible. Not, not so much. Like, I want to get a decent performance out of you. <laughs> that's incredible. D- Gilliam, actually, he didn't write this, uh, the script. No, he didn't. He, this is his second of his films that he's directed where he hasn't written. Because he, li- he tries to only direct what he writes. Well, I, I can get that you want the the consistency of the vision. I can understand well, yeah. that, but also too, I mean, if you have a if you're a filmmaker and you have a style that fits a certain movie that producers are trying to make, well then, well yeah, you sign up for what work you can get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Terry Gilliam was at a point in his career where he could be a little choosy with the work he was getting thrown his way, but I still think as a director, you don't have that luxury of saying like, well, I don't really want to do this movie or that movie. Like you, you take what work you can get, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, unless your name is Steven Spielberg, then like you don't have your pick of movies you want to do. He he is not attached to this film. No, no, no. sadly. Sadly. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm there kidding. would be children, endless children. There in would, this yeah, film. James Cole would have been played by some unknown twelve-year-old. Gosh, and he'd probably have so much dialogue it would ruin the film. Right. No, thank you. Although speaking of uh, production of the film, I mean, this movie was only in production for three months. 
Yeah. Which is insane to think how much work they were, good work they were able to get in three months. Three months is it. And they were a ton of setbacks. I don't know if you read about these. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, having to film on the East Coast in the middle of winter, oh. which, I mean, you think Midwest winters are brutal. I can't imagine what it's like on the East Coast with all the, the winter typhoons or whatever they get. With just like the horrible <laughs> things that seem to hit Washington Wash. every single winter season just wash the set away freeze mm-hmm. it they there didn't were, have any studios no they didn't have any studios all on location all done in lo- on location which is where you get a ton of like the uh the aesthetic of it you get the yeah. abandoned building look uh there were technical glitches with a yes. bunch of the props so that set things back a little bit and did you see terry gilliam fell off a freaking horse he fell off a horse he fell off a freaking horse <laughs> there are there's a behind the scenes documentary with it he's sporting this big old black eye while filming the movie it's insane he he pulled a he fell off a horse a horse a horse and the, the horse wasn't even in the film no i can't think of a single moment where it's like where it would have been feasible to shoot on horseback and also too as a director why would you suggest even filming on horseback i don't understand people uh I mean, that's but great. Dis- that sucks. But despite all of that, the production was only a week behind schedule and under budget, which, I mean, yes, there, I mean, no shooting schedule is going to be perfect. You're either going to, no. you're going to be over, you're going to be super over on your, on your schedule or, and it's, it's so hard <clears throat> to come in under budget too. And he did. He, he did it. He would go to flea markets to get props. I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. They use, like you said, abandoned buildings, landmarks. I mean, he he was well. Efficient, it does very it, efficient. I think it it creates a consistent look that he was going for because yeah. right away in the beginning of the movie, we see that the future does look bleak. Super Everybody's bleak. in these these hammock cells. Everybody <laughs> hammock. There were no hammocks. There were hammocks. The, they were sleeping in hammocks. They were sleeping in hammocks in iron cells. Yeah. I mean, no privacy at all. Gosh. I mean, hammocks are see-through. The cells are see-through. I mean, you can't you can't take a poop in privacy in the future. <laughs> but you can see your butt. Mm, that, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get into the movie itself, um, let's talk about the science of the movie a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in, in our travel. last episode, we discussed Back to the Future, and we also discussed uh, time travel mm-hmm. and the limitations and, you know, the improbability of of seeing time travel somewhere in the future. But I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the science behind viruses. Ooh. Because the big plot device of this movie is the virus that has wiped out 90% of the world's population okay. and has forced everybody else to live underground. But there actually is a very real possibility of a virus causing an extinction-level event like this. Yeah. I mean, we've seen some pretty deadly ones in history. We have the bubonic plague, uh, cholera, the Spanish flu, which coupled with World War One, killed a bunch of the world's population. Yeah. And then currently we have HIV and there is the Ebola virus, which the Ebola, Ebola virus is probably the scariest freaking virus that's out there right now. What about the swine flu, man? You don't remember that? I do remember that, but I don't remember like it causing like a worldwide pandemic though. Oh, I know. I mean, HIV, I mean, it's it's still out there. There's still still there's very still prominent. tons of work that needs to be done on <clears throat> HIV. But Ebola is the real kind of scary the virus boogeyman that's out there it is there's no there's no treatment for ebola once you get it it's sudden and you're gone pretty quick from ebola you're bleeding from your eyes you're bleeding from everywhere on your body pretty much terrifying and most of these are spread conventionally you know you have dirty water you have poop you have coffee coughing sneezing uh, others are spread through the exchanging of bodily fluids which is where you know how the hiv virus is spread mm-hmm. um 
But many of these viruses, or at least strains of them, are kept in laboratories across the world. I mean, two of the big ones are the Center for Disease Control, which is Mm -hmm. based in the United States. And then there's also um, the United States Army uh, Medical Research Institute for Infectious Diseases, uh, known as USAMRID. Mm -hmm. Uh, They store a ton of these viruses here. But these are government facilities. And incidents there have to be reported. So that's something like a potential breach in a suit. That's a virus, a strain getting out out of its containment zone. But then there's also private labs. Oh, yeah. There's private labs that do their own research. However, incidents at those labs don't have to be reported. So there is a... Wait, wait, wait. You're serious. Because these are private labs and there aren't like a ton of regulatory agencies for this... So they can just like there could potentially be a pandemic that is that is caused by one of these uh, private laboratories that's experiment like say that's just insane. for giggles they want to experiment with like the cholera virus or something and it gets out mm-hmm. and it infects people and it can be traced back to this laboratory that had an incident that went unreported yeah so there's a very real possibility of something like this happening granted I don't imagine it happening on a global scale where five billion people are killed yeah. I mean, that's one heck of a virus to, to to kill 5 billion people. It has to be highly contagious. It has to spread. It has to be airborne. It has to be spread, spread yeah. coughing, sneezing, bodily fluids. So it has to be also a highly evolving virus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you can even have a, a game on your cell phone that lets you mutate a virus and try to wipe out the world's population. Yeah. <laughs> but usually we see these viruses... In movies, something like this, or yeah. we or we see the after effects of the viruses. We we see movies like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or, or Resident Evil, where <clears throat> the virus has wiped out humanity and it's either left zombies or dead people in its wake. <laughs> it's um, always, but we don't see a lot of movies that have like an active virus or the no. threat of one. I mm-hmm. mean, the one of the only, one of the only other examples I can think of was the movie Outbreak. Outbreak, okay. With uh, Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. Never saw it. Oh, I'm going to have to put that one on the list, too. What about, did you ever see, I think it's Contagion? Yes. Yes. That's a, that's like a progressive. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's a crazy virus film. I think movies film. like that, to me, are so interesting mm-hmm. because you, you see the active investigation of, okay, well, how did this virus get out? What's, What's our method of yeah. treating it? Uh, who's infected with it right now? What can we do to prevent it? It's pretty cool. It is pretty you cool. And then, I mean, epidemiology is a pretty cool medical field. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> if a deadly virus were to be released today, I mean, how effective do you think it would be? I mean, we we live in a very weird society right now. We still have a movement of anti-vaccinations. <laughs> I mean, traveling has now gotten God. easier, it seems like. Yeah. I think, though, we still, I think in modern times, we would be able to... Uh, extinguish the virus pretty shortly well i would hope so i, th- I think so i don't think it, we're not like black plague type of stuff well i like, mean also too i mean we've evolved beyond the black plague yeah. because and well the reason why that spread so quickly was people were literally throwing their poop out into the streets literally it's, it's ugh, disgusting i mean london i mean london probably still reeks of all the poop that was thrown into the streets <laughs> and you know in <laughs> the 14th centuries, centuries on I imagine there might be still some holdouts. Be like, I don't trust the sewer system. <laughs> into the street again. My great great grandfather pooped in the street, and I will. You're never I will stop too. me. Well, where do you pee? I'll pee in the sink. <laughs> we will always, so always pee in the sink. That's how we wash the dishes, mate. <laughs> Apparently, it went Australian there for a second. It did. 
I think though, I think the only way a giant virus like that would spread is if like government agencies or like, you know, the virus holders would um take control and like kind of do what they did in this film. Like if it was an active someone There has to be some type of like conspiracy where the total, vi- the virus yeah. is planted in like um like airline jets and then yeah. that's where we get like somebody's playing up on the chemtrail conspiracy. There exactly. Like there's just I don't think it's not possible. No. But I mean, who knows? I, we could be wrong. There I could really, be a virus I, spreading right now. Uh, I hope I hope we're right about a virus not spreading like that. I hope that's not the case. I mean Right. I mean anti vaccination is one thing. You are you're you're creating a public health risk by not vaccinating your children. I mean yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I imagine that the tiny coffin business will just be booming over the next decade <laughs> with all these these people the who think that vaccinations cough. are a bad thing. The they are not a bad thing. Business. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be a booming business here with all the people <laughs> who think that vaccinations are bad. Here's a business to invest your stock in. Yeah, and that's Ugh. a morbid business to invest your stock in. Gosh. All right. So we've talked enough about viruses and being a bit of a bummer. Let's let's talk about the movie now. All right. So right away we see that that text screen at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. You know, it's 2035. Cool. Five billion people are dead. Everyone else is underground, and our only hope is Bruce Willis and shoddy time travel. Damn. Shoddy time travel. Shoddy time travel. <laughs> it was shoddy. They have no control. This is probably the least reliable method of time traveling we've seen. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think There's I no think control. this is probably the least reliable we will see in any of our future time travel movies. Yeah. Because yeah. he's sent back in time, what is it, three or four times? Uh, three times. So he's sent back three times. So yeah. in the first attempt, he's sent to 1990. So it's super <laughs> earlier than he needs to be. Yeah. And, the, then he's, and then he's yanked out. The second time, he's sent to 1917 in France. Yeah. Which he gets shot, and we see more Bruce Willis butt there for whatever reason. <laughs> and, and then the, the third time, he's sent back, and he's just like this drooling, like, Someone's or no, I guess or or well, it was like when he was sent back to France in the World War. That yeah. was like a glitch. Like, yeah, it, it was, was a glitch. He was, he was in the process. He was like yanked out and sent to uh, nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. Yeah, and then they sent him again to ninety six. They got it right. Yeah, so it's four times that it took for them to get it right, and the fourth time he's just left like this drooling fool in the middle of the street, and Madeline Stowe has to come over and like kind of corral him every time. Yeah, would you really? place that much faith in a broken time travel system <laughs> i guess i mean i i wouldn't be like wait a minute you have to send me back four times it's a, well that's why they don't give them the option yeah they, <laughs> they don't give them the option that's why they they have to rope the prisoners they kind it, of force him i'm curious how many times they actually practice this. i'm curious like if how like, many is... like people they tried this on right there has to be like dozens of people that tried this on and were like either murdered or they found oh, the totally, drugs or yeah. they spent their money on hookers which every time they yank him back they always ask him like did you fall in with hookers or did you do drugs did you or drinking alcohol they ask him that every single time he comes back so they <clears throat> so it it seems have, like there's a pass well they have faith in the shoddy technology they built but not in the people they're sending back i guess i mean come on you probably have faith in like if you drive a ford or these crappy well, cars. I are. don't drive a Ford, so I can't say. <laughs> I don't either, but other people in this world drive these different cars. I think Fords have gotten better these days. What about a Saturn? Plastic? Who still drives a Saturn? That's Hey, there's people they out there. They don't even make Saturns anymore. Exactly, but people still use them. Well, and they're putting their faith in the shoddy equipment? Well, as I say, bully for them. Bully for them. If it gets you to point A to point B and it still works for you and they're still making parts for it, by all means, drive what you want to drive. That's right. Trust that equipment. But uh, but, but, let's talk about like this this council that seems to to run this underground society. It seems to be all made up of scientists. It is all scientists. And it's they're weird. 
They're, they're weird. weird. They're, it's they're a weird, very eclectic yeah. group. Uh, group. It looks like there's a microbiologist. It looks like there's a geologist there for whatever reason. I'm trying to decide if those are like the top scientists or if they were the ones left over. Probably the ones left over. Those are probably like the C plus students that are left over. <laughs> yeah, right. They weren't even working. Just in remember, the folks. Field. Even C plus students can become doctors. That's right. <laughs> so these are probably like the the C plus doctors. Yeah, this is this is probably the crowd the the group that graduated in the lower percentiles of their classes. I mean, and the, are now left to make worldwide decisions. Yeah. I mean, the lady when they were questioning him, her face was like super zoomed in, like she was looking through the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like I was. Why are you looking through a mirror? Mm. What a weird! They're they're just so weird. Well, and then they're also the fixated on the twelve monkeys. They were. They, I mean, they, they were, think they're wrong. I mean, you think there would be? I mean, we find out why the twelve monkeys or the army of the twelve monkeys plays a big role into yeah. the film because it's it's Brad Pitt's like environmental organization. Yeah, it's nothing. And even. Then, then they think the entire time, oh, they must have caused the virus. It's got to be them. It's like. No, like, no. do you not have the radio broadcast talking about all the giraffes that are running around on the interstates? I know. I mean, you got these shoddy recordings of, you know, Bruce Willis trying to say like, "We were wrong. You sent me back to the wrong time. Send me to this time," and blah blah blah. And yet, you can't find a radio broadcast with someone saying, "Yeah, there's elephants running through the dry docks. What's going on here?" <laughs> I know. How can you miss that? What about the papers of like his dad? Him taking his dad, like, wouldn't that be in the news, the news recordings, anything? There should, there should have there been, been, been stuff. I mean, unless this, unless the virus just caused like a, a news blackout and there was this weird period where there Only. just wasn't any news that come out during that time. I don't. Well, like, it's I, possible. I could buy that. I could buy that, and all the info they have is just stuff that they've come up along the way. All right, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's been forty years I, well, in the film. Yeah. I mean, let's, and also, too, let's talk about the flashback that we keep seeing through the yes. movie. So it's this young boy who keeps seeing this shooting at an airport. Yes. Now, the, the idea, the thinking is initially in the beginning of the movie that we think this is the young uh, Bruce Willis character. We think this is young James Cole who is witnessing mm-hmm. a shooting at the airport for whatever reason with a man who's, you know, clearly has a wig on and is being <laughs> shot holding this this Civil War style revolver. Yeah. A Civil War style it revolver. It is a Civil War style revolver. <laughs> it's very old school. I mean, and he's just shot, and then it just shows the kid's face. Well, I mean, he gets shot. I mean, it's very Fla- Willem oh. Dafoe like from Platoon. Very, oh yeah, it's like he's a sacrificial Christ-like figure of the movie. He is. This film is an anal- is an analogy for Christ. Yeah, you didn't pick up on that, Chris. Of course, I picked up on that. <laughs> I mean, it was it was ham fisted in its way. <laughs> it was just jamming that in your freaking face. The well, let's, whole time. let's talk about the first time that Cole is sent back. Yes. Like we said, he's sent back too early, so this trip definitely not successful. Uh, he goes back naked and winds up in a mental hospital because, of course, everybody thinks he's crazy. A la Sarah Connor from Terminator, Terminator Two. Yeah. Where people think she's crazy. Well, he ends up uh, he beats up like two officers. Yeah, sends him to the hospital. But because I mean, he doesn't like know where he although is. speaking of like um like Bruce Willis butt that is the lens flare of the movie to me it's, it's just Bruce Willis it's just butt. a gratuitous amount of butt we see in the movie for absolutely no reason because so every much. time Bruce Willis is sent back he's naked and then here in his first trip back Brad Pitt has to flash I know has right. to moon the word he's on for whatever reason what? yelling colonics for everybody <laughs> I love this character he does everyone moons I yeah can, Gilliam loves it. Loves butts. All right. So here we meet we meet Brad Pitt's character, Jeffrey Goins. Yes. Who, what's wrong with him? 
He's Sto- either got schizophrenia or um, or something going. Uh, schizophrenia I, I slash think, dissociative identity disorder, I think, is a more appropriate term now. I think it's definitely skits. Yeah, he's got something going on. There's he's a few he's so twitchy, and he's like everything. Like he just goes on these crazy tangents where he just starts shouting things at people. The guy sitting in his chair. Sit down, Jeffrey. Get out of my chair. <laughs> get out every time. Yeah, Brad Pitt is just like become the crazy old man. Like get off my chair, and dude. Like he'll be running around the ward chasing the doctors, and then some guy just sits in his chair and he stops. He's like, get out of there. Get out of my chair. I love it. And then. Because Bruce Willis has his misadventures in the first trip, and he's yanked back. Yep, yep. Because he, there's nothing. He couldn't find anything. He he eats a spider. Yeah. Because every time he goes to the past, they're like, "Take some insects back with you. Bring some insects which, back because that works out so well." Which, like, my mind, when I, I'm like, so the insects are going to be transported in time with him too? It was just, <laughs> it was crazy. What what is he putting in his pocket? Although, speaking of insects, you want to hear uh, this week in toxic fandom? I'm down. So, courtesy of IMDb, near the beginning of the film, Cole collects a cockroach as it crawls through the snow. Cockroaches aren't active in winter and wouldn't be found crawling through the snow. Also, the cockroach he picks up is a Madagascar hissing cockroach not found in the United States. <laughs> so, apparently, some some entomologist out there was watching the movie thinking, oh, gosh, they're picking up a cockroach in Philadelphia. What's wrong with them? That's just so terrible. Just some entomologist near going, well, actually, and fixing their glasses. Apparently, that bugged you so much that you had to go to the internets and, and yell about it. I'm just, I just don't know. How, how? They they must know their bugs that well. Well, I mean, uh, I guess that the cock, that cockroach is pretty distinct in its, um, yeah. in how it looks. But even still. That's crazy. And they told it to the internet. Yeah, because, you know, we're, we're a better place to voice your opinions and gripes with society. So then two. Because people pay attention to that. So then two guys like you and me can talk about it on a podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there you go. Like I said, you take away the power from something when you satirize it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, I mean, but getting back to the so, movie here for a second, I mean, we see. <clears throat> You know, Bruce Willis is back in the underground society. Yep. Now they're questioning if him. this future society is able to send people back in time. Mm-hmm. Can they build better or at least cleaner underground facilities for everybody? Yeah, this film is so dirty. Yeah, because it just see, everything. Like, like even looking at it, I just wanted to get a tetanus <laughs> shot because there's so much <laughs> rusty metal that they're storing people in everywhere. It's just like what? There's got to be so many diseases. There's got to be. Dis- I mean, yeah, you're worried about the the virus up on Earth, and yet you're giving people tetanus by storing them in these rusty iron cages. God. It's great unless that's like a thing that they do. You know, it's just like the the monthly tetanus shot. Monthly tetanus. Here you go. Here's your compulsory vaccination. There you go. <laughs> so then we get to Bruce Willis's second trip back in time, and yep. this time, worse than the first. World War One. He winds up in World War One in France, where he is shot in the leg. Dude, here is my. Uh, Toxic fandom. Oh, here we go. So they say the bullet that he was shot with could not be dated from World War One. It's a new bullet. It came from the past by time traveling. However, the bullet cases of many countries during World War One was stamped with the manufactured date. But the date on it was wrong. Oh, God, people. So someone literally paused the film and looked for the date on the bullet and was like, nope, nope, this was made for the film. Look, people dumb. I know. That's your gripe with the movie is is a bullet a in, a, bu- in a tiny two minute if that scene. It's not even two minutes. He's in there for like he winds up there, gets shot in the leg, and then is pulled back due to some glitch. Oh, that scene also has my red shirt. 
So in the scene, there's like, well, because everyone's dying in that scene. There's so many soldiers getting shot. But so there's one soldier that gets shot and he's like bleeding on the fa- on his head and he like lands his head, lands on a rock and they shout something into the camera and then mm. just bleh, bleh. Just, just like a quick little this quick gas bleh. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? What? Okay. Okay. That, that was my red shirt. So yeah. So first two trips back in time, not really successful. And no. then in the middle of the second trip, we flash forward to 1996 where we- We've met Dr. Catherine Rayleigh earlier in the movie, but she, yeah, she she didn't really wasn't a fan or wasn't on David Cole's side at the time. She wasn't. Or James Cole. Is she name. was assigned to James Cole for like his mental health, X, Y, Z. She was his doctor. And so she was getting a lot of flack from the doctors because they're saying she's being too nice. She's She's giving him too much rope. Well, I mean, in the mental health field, I mean, you have to be somewhat compassionate you have to understand mm-hmm. that there is a person under that ailment maybe they, they're going through a tough time or they're they're not functioning at 100 percent. but you have to understand that this is a person who deserves treatment under there yeah regardless of what they're saying if it's you know apocalyptic visions or they're saying everybody needs colonics or whatever <laughs> yeah and i really enjoyed in the uh in the film the contrast between the doctors because it was like a bunch of old white men Mm-hmm. And then her, and she was like the young doctor, so you just could see like the jaded between the guys. They're like, just give him pills, but lock him away. <laughs> she's like, let's talk to him. He means something. He seems familiar. In this trip back, though, she's gone from being a psychiatrist to a doomsday writer. Yeah, which she, is, that, that's a, that's a heck of a career change right there. <laughs> like what? <laughs> but we also meet um, Doctor Peters, who as uh, who unexpectedly becomes the villain he at be, the end of the movie. He's I mean, in like three scenes. Yeah, he's not he really played up as the villain. I mean, no. Yeah, there's the buildup of oh my god, he's going to be the guy who's going to release the virus. But well, in this twist. scene, he's kind of interrogating Doctor Rayleigh. Yeah. About like, her speech, her book. It's like he, it's like she kind of agrees with you, dude. Like, chill out. I mean, there's gonna be like some type of catac- like yeah. I mean, they're both on the same page, more or less. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, this guy's a little weird. What's up with his hair? He seems like a little yeah. Bit he's too rocking the ponytail. Rock it. It doesn't. That wig is terrible. Ponytail is just Morris. like pre man bun. So bad. But he was like just too pushy. I'm like, what is up with this guy? And he didn't show up until a little bit later in the film. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, and we, we they, realize that he's actually like he a, is the guy, like a Doctor Goins yeah. assistant, and creates this virus in the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rayleigh becomes Cole's hostage, mm-hmm. and then starts yeah. to buy into his apocalyptic visions. She understands, like, oh my gosh, like he's actually right. Maybe he's not crazy. We need to help him. I mean, she helps him out. They rob a pimp together. They dodge airport security. <laughs> they rob a pimp together. <laughs> Yeah, they beat up a pimp and they steal his money. And apparently, the pimp had enough money on him to go to Key West. I know they have no money the entire trip. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, they walk into a hotel and slam down twenty six dollars for an hour, for a room for an hour. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it still fascinates me that those hotels are out there that you could that you rent by the hour, just not by, by the night. I know. I saw that and I'm like, what is this? And then the guy comes in and he's like, hey. You think you're walking the streets? Yeah. Who do you think you are? This is my territory. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, where are your girls, dude? <laughs> yeah, man. That was so funny. But I I have to ask this, too. I mean, does he really need Catherine to do what he is has set out to do or what, he's, what Cole has been tasked to do? I think it's just because he didn't know how to drive. He said he can't drive. Yeah. And so he needed to get 
to uh, Philly. But he just happened to run into his former psychiatrist, like, "Hey, take me on a road trip." All right, all right, maybe take me, take me on this po- take me on this apocalyptic preventing road trip. Maybe it was a little too convenient. Yeah, just just a bit. Yeah, that's a suspension of disbelief right there. That he just happens to run into his former psychiatrist who buys into his craziness for a second and is like, okay, I'll help you try to prevent the apocalypse. It happens to have enough gas <laughs> and money in her car. Yeah, I don't know how long the drive is from Philly to Baltimore, but uh, it's got yeah, it it's it's to be a, a couple time. hours. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. And he just, the whole time, I, I did. The I, whole time he's tripping on the whole retro radio. Totally. That was like some of my favorite parts. He's like, I love music from this era. We it's don't amazing. have music. It's amazing. Maybe that's what they, all right, yeah, they need music in the future, man. And tetanus shots. Tetanus so, shots. So tetanus shots, music, cleaner facilities. Yes. <laughs> We're just making a future list for 2035. Like you, <laughs> listen, like leaders of the underground, you need these things if you want people to be happier. <laughs> just just a little bit happier. Maybe they won't like do drugs or, and alcohol when you send them back. Well, also too, I mean, we're also just seeing the prison side of things. So maybe there is a cleaner set of facilities in the future where the uh, the non-terrible people live. That's true. I took it when like he comes back and they put him in the bed and he's like staring up at the painting. I'm like, oh, maybe this is how like the upper elite live in yeah, the future. Could be. They're they're just looking at like paintings from Michelangelo over their heads and like the Mona Lisa. I think this also too is a good point to bring up the fact. I mean, do we? Do you really think that the future that Cole is talking about is actually happening or is he crazy? Is he like crazy, crazy? That is the perception in the whole film. You never can tell. I would like to say that his future is real mm-hmm. because it goes along with the story. But I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, what's separating this guy from like a crazy inmate? Yeah, it's a lot like the it's a lot like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It is where you're not sure if what is happening is. Re- it's more like the the book itself because the one flew over the cuckoo's nest book is told from the perspective of Chief, who is schizophrenic, who's hallucinating and thinks like, oh, the, a, a machine runs the world. And it's, oh, it, wow. it's, it very this movie very much takes that point of view like well is what he's saying like really coming to pass how do we know that he's not just hallucinating here yeah and and bruce willis like his character talks about that he's like this is all it's all fake it's all, all i'm I crazy see dead people it's yeah <laughs> it's all you're right you're right doc and, it, and they like change their beliefs at the same time when he comes back like yeah. she's now like she sounds the crazy and then he's like more the grounded individual that's like no 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 um, it was all a lie i just heard about the kid in the well <laughs> i mean cole does his best to try and prevent what is going on he thinks that uh he does he thinks goins is the original like uh like starting point of the virus so he tries to go and yeah. talk to jeffrey goins brad pitt's character yeah and ends up planting the seed in his mind like i'm going to be even more of an environmental revolutionary now <clears throat> and go against my father's ideals yeah which for all the like the prominent billing that Christopher Plummer got in this movie, he's not in this movie a ton. No, I was so like shocked when I saw his name, and I'm like, he's in this film like David Morris. Three yeah, scenes. and he's and Christopher Plummer is perfectly willing to pawn off his kid to the next mental hospital that's willing to try and treat his son. <laughs> yeah, he's so, just like I mean, you're he's crazy. Not that, he's not a good dad. He's not. He's a rich. Like Jeffrey, I know it's you. No, it's not. <laughs> and I hated his accent. Yeah, southern accent in Baltimore, like, and Jeffrey doesn't have the accent. No, he's the only guy. I mean, in the I get, film with an accent. Yeah, I get Baltimore has its own unique accent, but it's not southern. 
No, it is not. Yeah, why? Why is he? Why is Christopher Plummer trying to sound like a Kentucky plantation owner? Yes, that is exactly it. Like he's gonna give like me some, say, boy. some nice lemonade. Here you go. While you're working in that lab there, <laughs> I'm just like, it's just like, dude, what is this guy doing? Now how about a mint julep now for your troubles? Yeah, right. If we're sticking with Kentucky. <laughs> He he was I just I didn't like his character so, to be honest. It was kind of like the lower part of that's the film. your lens flare is a uh, Christopher Plummer's accent. C- Christopher Plummer, yeah, Christopher <laughs> Plummer's accent is my lens flare. Oh, I could have I could have dealt without it, man. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people could have. You know, we get we get Catherine Rayleigh and James uh, James Cole going on their mission, and mm-hmm. then um, in order to get them to stop looking, it looks like at one point that Bruce Willis kind of kills Madeline Stowe. Yes. Well, the first time I saw this, I'm freaking out like, <clears throat> no, no. Why is he killing her? There's no Me reason too. to kill her. Me too. And then we see on the news that like, oh, the, the a body that's been I- possibly identified as Catherine Rayleigh. Like, you can't put that on the news. You can't say possibly identified. Po- possibly identified. Turns out they're wrong and Madeline Stowe's just been in the trunk the whole time. I know. That was such, that was a nice gotcha. I mean, that's... That's my red shirt is the poor lady who was misidentified as Catherine Rayleigh. Like, oh, turns out we were wrong. <laughs> that was one of my red shirts. But you didn't see him kill her. So that's why I didn't pick it. Yeah, but also, too, like, heard about I, it. I just, the news, like, the news outlet bothered me. Like, possibly identified. Possibly, I know, right? It's like somebody's not doing their job that well. <laughs> this <laughs> In this week's edition of somebody not doing their job well. <laughs> yes, that news anchor. But then we get to uh, the climax of the movie and the airport chase. Yeah, it turns out that uh, James uh, Cole runs into his friend Jose from the future. Tells him, "Man, you're a hero. But, you know, in our time, you know, you got your pardon. Mm-hmm. Um, found him in the airport, and then they both defy airport security and run through the checkpoint. They do they nowadays, and carrying a weapon. Nowadays, can you imagine how many people would just come out and tackle them? Oh, it'd be insane. Take them to some back room where <laughs> they're for quote additional screening <laughs> aka let me insert my gloved hand yeah into the poop shoot <laughs> the poop shoot of bruce willis's willingly revealed bottom yeah again we don't have to keep talking about that though i mean we alluded to it earlier um when cole is running after dr peters who is carrying what we can assume is tons of the virus that will kill humanity so he's running after him and he's and he's shot in the back, and he he puts his arms out like like yeah. a Christ figure is what it is. It's I have a I don't have a like a big problem with movies that go for the Christ imagery, mm-hmm. but when it's done, it's usually done in this very ham-fisted type type of way. Okay, like um, I mentioned Platoon, where that's done, where yeah. Willem Dafoe kind of puts his arms out, like he's the sacrificial lamb of the movie. Um, this isn't intentional, but in E.T., there's also Christ imagery in that as well. In E.T.? Yeah. No way. Yeah, way. All right, tell me. Take then, 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 I, think, I think it's best safe for when we get to E.T. Save when we... Okay. But if, if, if you know what I'm talking about in E.T., then yeah. The, 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 like I said, like I don't have a big problem, but when movies do this Christ uh, imagery, either the sacrificial lamb or somebody you know holding their arms out when they've been shot... I'm not a big fan of the ham-fisted imagery with that. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I don't. I don't mind it. 
if it's properly placed. Yeah, and I, I agree yeah. with that too. It's just if you're going to do it, at least do it in a subtle way and not and not a way that's hammering people over the head with it. Exactly. You know? This is supposed to be a representation of Jesus Christ. It's literally the director shaking an audience and saying, this is what I'm trying to say with it. <laughs> do you get it yet? Does it make sense? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you? But we see that um, Cole is killed. He is. And Which, his life is a cold, closed loop. It is. It Well, yes. Yeah. That that was so underwhelming when I saw that. I was like, man, this is it? This it's, is the whole film? Yeah, humanity is still going to be doomed to die and be trapped underground for generations. Cole is still going to wind up in prison. Everyone he knows and loves are most likely killed by this virus. What a, and he's still set to keep repeating his futile mission again and again and again. What a terrible Groundhog Day. Just be trapped in it yeah, endlessly. I mean, you know you're going to die. This is every- a very dark Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> when you compare it like that, I would almost prefer to watch Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the dark version of Bill Murray's game. Yeah, this is, this is like somebody who was sitting in the writer's room for Groundhog Day and was like, I think I could make this darker. <laughs> you know what this movie is lacking? Murder. <laughs> endless murder and sci-fi yeah he should have bruce willis should have thought about thought twice about ripping out his teeth because then there was no way for them to pull him back right oh that's true see i never i didn't i wasn't sure if that was a truth or a lie because he sees like this homeless man without teeth he's like ah, you just gotta rip out your teeth yeah just and rip it, out your teeth and it ends up being the same voice that he heard that he hears throughout the film like when he's um trapped in like 2035 he'll mm-hmm. be in the room and you'll just hear this voice towering over, and it's the same voice as the homeless guy. And then when they revisited the homeless dude later on, she, the Catherine's like, hey, do you know where the 12 monkeys are? And he's like, what? Well, and then he confronts him in the bathroom, and turns out it's some random guy taking a poop. Yeah. So, I mean, but does it, does it confirm to you that maybe Bruce Willis is just crazy and is imagining all these things? I think that maybe, might be imagined. Maybe it's just a coincidence his name is... Uh, James Cole and you know that is a pretty common name that's like naming a kid John Smith John Smith James Cole yeah I mean I I would imagine that there is like a, a James Cole out there somewhere oh totally I mean I, for all we know this is a coincidence it could be I mean I mean because I imagine that kid who saw that had to have been nine or ten and right. seeing somebody shot and killed in front of you has to be a pretty traumatic event right I mean even at a young age yes you don't realize what's happening but you're building a procedure in your mind to protect yourself from that. So for all we know, like it's just like it's just Bruce Willis being crazy and trying to protect himself from that. But then how did Bruce Willis get get there? Like, well, I guess it is a closed loop because mm-hmm. the first time No, but as a kid in the airport, right? Mm-hmm. He saw the guy so someone He had saw to, himself getting shot pretty so much. How though? He had to have been sent back first, right? So the virus had to have happened. Mm. So maybe so there is the theory, fans say there's the closed loop theory, and then I saw another theory on YouTube, which is such a reputable source. Oh, but, oh yes, I believe uh, I believe CNN gets their news from there. <laughs> that um, it's it's not a closed loop, but when uh, Dr. Peters gets on the plane with the meds, like the virus, he ends up sitting next to one of the scientists from 2035. Yes. So a fan theory is that they actually they figured it out, who it was, and then they sent back one of the scientists to confront Dr. Mm-hmm. Peters and take the virus and et cetera. But it doesn't go into it. He just sits down on the plane next to her, and he's like, hey, what do you do for a career? And she's like, I'm an insurance agent. And then that's it. Mm. 
which I found kind of ironic. Well, and it, we've reached the end of the movie now where it's just humanity is just doomed to, to die. Doomed to die. Doomed to die. It's a very bleak it is outlook in the future. It is a very bleak outlook. Yeah. It's sad. <laughs> very depressing. This is not a feel-good film. No, it absolutely it is not. It does not leave you with the warm fuzzies like Back to the Future would. No, it does not. It's not like... This film is like saying, hey, you know what? I want to watch The Passion of the Christ. That sounds like a great <laughs> You want, you film want something heavy? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to watch The Passion of the Christ and follow it up with 12 monkeys with 5 <laughs> billion people die in the future. Yes, I, I feel like that's a good cocktail for a bleak movie. <laughs> Let's just... I love myself today. Sprinkle Let's... in a bit of Silence of the Lambs on top. <laughs> Requiem for a dream. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're just go. Yeah, you want a good like a good feel crappy about the world movie night? I think we just outlined a perfect roadmap for you. Yeah. <laughs> I so mean, now that the movie's over, well, let's get let's get into the legacy of the movie a little bit. All right. Um, it was nominated for two Oscars. Really? I just saw the one. What was the other one? Best costume. Oh. So the best costume, and then uh, Brad Pitt's supporting Oscar. Yeah, guy. he was nominated for supporting actor. I think he won a Golden Globe for it. He too. did not the Oscar because the Oscars are very political, and you very rarely win an Oscar on your first go around. No, unless you're Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, or um, what's that guy who uh, he was in um, Quentin Tarantino's film? Oh, Christoph Waltz. Ba- yeah, he won. Back to back supporting us. Not back to back, but back to back um yeah, film noms. roles. Not no, not noms. He was nominated in two thousand nine for Inglorious Bastards and then two thousand twelve or thirteen for Django. Yeah. So he won both of those. Yeah. So maybe first time. We'll go. see. I mean, but those are two very good roles. Yes. But we're are. digressing a little bit. I don't even know who beat out uh Pitt in ninety six, to be honest with you. I mean we can look it up here. But uh let's just move along with the show here. Um <laughs> But I mean, like, we, it, it grossed 169 million dollars at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this was during that very successful run of Brad Pitt movies. So, yeah, how much of the film's success do you attribute to Brad Pitt and his rising star star at the time? How much? I think I attribute a bit of it because he's young. He's you attractive. have to attribute a good portion of the movie's success to it because yes, Bruce Willis was a big enough star at the time, mm-hmm. but I don't think he alone could have carried this movie. No, it was the three components was Gilliam directing, Bruce Willis, and then uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah. It was a trifecta. Put, that definitely put butts in seats. Oh yeah. And well, Roger Ebert was a fan of the movie too. He was. Three out of four stars. He compared the movie very similar to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. which is uh, my personal favorite science fiction film. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually spawned a television show on the Sci-Fi Network. Yes. And Twelve Roger monkeys? Ebert was less a fan of that than he was of this movie. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he didn't like I read it. his review. He eviscerated the television show. He did not like it. He eviscerated it? Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. It, it's very rare that I get to use that word, but I love using it in the appropriate context. <laughs> You know what that that is true. There's not much of a big following of it. No. This is this is more this movie appeals more to like the hardcore science fiction fans. Mm-hmm. And all those elements are there. You have a very bleak uh post-apocalyptic future. You have time travel that's not exactly reliable. No. You have a um uh not so much a hero but just a guy who's kind of been roped into this whole thing trying to do the right thing and yeah. ends up failing anyway. With a checkered past. Checkered past. That's right. I wonder what he did to wind up in prison in the first place. Uh, I feel like he killed someone, maybe. Maybe, but it's not really gone into. It just says no. like he's got violent tendencies. I know. 
Oh, Brad Pitt got beat out by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> what was that for? Um, Usual Suspects. Mm, that was a great role, though. So. That was a great okay, role. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess he, Brad Pitt, uh, you can't be lost that you, mad that you lost to Kevin Spacey. I mean, he made one of his eyes kind of crazy. Yeah, he, made, yeah he, he was pulling a Forrest Whitaker with the eyes a bit. <laughs> <laughs> pulling a Forrest Whitaker? I'm, I'm sure. Is that a thing now? I don't think it's a thing because <laughs> Forrest Whitaker actually has a legitimate <laughs> medical condition where that happens to him. <laughs> so the legacy of this film is it's pretty reputable in it's the pretty reputable community. but but we i think i gotta ask this do you think this movie is primed for a remake i mean because the television companion didn't exactly work out but no. could a remake be done for this i don't know i wouldn't want to see it yeah i i wouldn't watch it It would be like watching total recall remake it's just no yeah. i'm i'm good i like <laughs> i like the cheesiness of the 90s to it and like the air, I feel like if they did it nowadays, it would just be they would be so focused on the CGI and the dirtiness that I find it best to leave this movie like David Cole's corpse in the airport. Don't do anything with it and just respect <laughs> it. <laughs> just leave it where the body is falling. Just go, leave it there, man. Uh, so with that, why don't why don't we rate the movie? I'm down, Sean. What do you, uh, for for our rating system? We have a four tiered rating system. We have would not watch, would watch, would own. Mm-hmm. And would host viewing parties. So, Sean, what what do you think of Twelve Monkeys? For Twelve Monkeys, I would place it as a would watch. Mm. I don't know. I don't think I would own it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not that diehard of a fan. You know, I I, I agree. I, this is a would watch for me as well. Unless like owning it means I would DVR it and then just keep it. <laughs> if that counts as owning it, then I you just store it on a hard drive. Yeah, that that would be my would own. But I no, I would only watch it. And I'm pretty good. Yeah. I, my life is while this fine. movie. I mean, is good. I mean, it does suffer from the hyper stylization from Terry Gilliam films. Yes, but it does have a lot of standout performances in it, mm-hmm. um, and it provides many of the sci-fi elements that we've we talked about. But it does show a very bleak look into the future like the future is not the warm fuzzies everybody thinks it is no and a lot of people don't understand things have to get a lot worse before things get a lot better yeah so i mean this is this is for all we know i mean a sequel for this movie could wind up think being like oh everything's worked out humanity is back and you know we're working together but that movie isn't as interesting what a boring film right who just wants to watch a film of everyone patting themselves on the back star trek star trek Oh, if you watch like the original run of Star Trek, it's all very happy. But then they talk about like the 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 horrible things that happened for them to get to Star Trek, like genetic wars and the nuclear fallouts. Like wait, things, are, things had to be terrible before they got to the bright and shiny universe. Wait, are you talking about the original series? Oh yeah, like with Kirk. Uh huh. Well, I mean, it's not that exciting. Warm fuzzies. I mean, it's not that exciting. But there's some terrible things that had to happen for them to get to like the very sleek. You know, Starship Enterprise. That is like, true. Like, Khan was a product of the genetic wars. Ooh, that's true. Yeah, so there were a lot of really bad things that happened for them to get to, like, we're, we're all about reaching out to new alien species <laughs> and hooking up with green women. <laughs> and hooking up with green women. Oh, you know, he was doing <laughs> all green women on the regular. Loves the green women. You know what film I would watch, though? What? I would watch the uh, virus being spread mm, of this film. That, that's I, a movie I, I want to see out of this. I, I would it? see. Yeah. 
Because like I said, Hollywood, we don't see too many of those virus movies going around. Then we can <laughs> we could see this. Pun not intended. We can see the slow decay of the cages. I would want to see that. People, the fallout from the tetanus. Yeah. That would be insane. <laughs> All right, so I think that uh, I think we've gone uh, pretty yeah. deep into the movie. So what do you good. say we uh, we pick our next movie? I'm down, man. All right, we're gonna enlist the help of our uh, friendly random number generator known as Major Samantha. <laughs> so we have a list of 118 movies, and today she has selected 109. It is a 1999 George Lucas directed Star Wars Episode One: The <laughs> Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh, no. oh yes. I'm telling you, this is totally random, people. This is this is Major Samantha. So prepare for that next week. Watch with us if you want to get ready for it. But I think that wraps it up for uh, this edition of the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Mm-hmm. It really helps us out and drives us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com. That's all one word for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Culp, we'll see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design and associate producer is Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.